I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Moving from a PAYG role, which is a pay-as-you-go, so an employee situation, to a small business owner or a partnership we're going to talk about that. What financial things do you need to consider? What legal things do you need to consider? And hey, if it's not you that are making the move, can you think about someone to send this episode to once you hear the conversation? We'll also touch on the tenancy law update from Queensland. There's been a couple of changes there. And also starting all over again with your career. We'll talk about that, selling cars and much more. My name's Glenn James. You're listening to My Millennial Money. Now, we can't do this episode without our Tuesday show partner, Sharesies. Thanks, Sharesies, for supporting My Millennial Money. Now, if you know someone who's won an award or a business that's won an award, they're onto something. Sharesies have won several awards. The Sharesies platform was awarded WeMoney's 2023 Investment Platform of the Year. The Investment Platform of the Year Award is a hallmark recognition for Australian consumers that helps them identify great investing platforms in the marketplace. This award recognizes Sharesies for providing great value, access to multiple markets, quality, and a diverse feature set. Sharesies is all about making their platform easy for you to understand, invest, and get educated. So get $10 added to your account, ready to invest when you sign up to the Sharesies platform using the exclusive promo code MMM. All investing involves risks, T's and C's and fees apply. Let's get into it today. Yeah, yeah. John Pigeon, host of the My Millennial Property Podcast. That's a good little podcast over in that corner. Hey, um, do you know one thing I like about our podcast, John? What is it? Just one. I just, like I'm looking through the stuff that we're going to talk about today and there's just such a variety of uh, questions. And mm. to me, I love personal finance and we are talking about a heap of personal finance stuff and it's so like broad, the topics. It's not all investing in shares. It's not all buying property. It's so many little things. And prepping the questions today, I was really excited and was encouraged about how cool uh, it is that we get to talk about this stuff week in, week out. Absolutely. I'm with you on that. And as we've said before, we can't make this stuff up. People have genuine questions that need to be answered and we'll do our best to answer them. Absolutely. Now, I just wanted to do a bit of a PSA. Uh, You know, I put an episode up on the My Millennial Daily podcast and that's the Spotify show. There's no cost to listen to that. It's just on Spotify only, short, you know, under eight minutes a day-ish. I put a thing up about how I was fished, um, which was fun. But another thing that I want to do as a PSA, when you are buying property or any amount that you need to transfer to a solicitor's trust account, to a real estate trust account, because I'm in the middle of a transaction 
and I've got the invoice in my inbox from the real estate agent. Hey, Glenn, can you put a deposit into this account here? I'm like, sweet. You've got to jump on the phone and verbally confirm the account of BSB because there is that much fraud and scams happen with hacked email addresses, with all that stuff. And I've heard stories of people transferring money to account and BSBs from the solicitor's trust account, quote unquote, and the solicitors have been hacked. And, you know, it's just so hard to get that money back. And, you know, if you need to transfer five or 10% or even a thousand dollar holding deposit, I would just say to everyone, just jump on the phone. Even if it's, um, you don't have to talk to your contact. If you call and one of the team or the receptionist answers, just go, hey, I'm just transferring an amount over. Uh, can I confirm the account and BSB? So just a PSA for those, and it could be for anything really. Like if you're buying a new lounge and the company's like, we'll email you the invoice with the BSB and account number. Just pick up the phone. Yeah, it's just better to be safe than sorry in this climate. I've finished talking now, John, if you want to jump in and say something. <laughs> no, I agree with you, Glenn. Uh, <laughs> you can never be too sure, can you? You really can't. Now, give us a quick update. Um, you know, at the time of recording, it is the end of March. Uh, there is a bit of a delay with our podcasts uh, before they get put up. What's happening in Queensland with tenancy laws? There's some moving and shaking and changes in the wind up there. Give us the TLDR with that for those in Queensland. Yeah, so look, it's it's coming from the state. Uh, the, the government are wanting to address the possibility of implementing a, a, a rental cap. And we've spoken about it on the property podcast quite a number of times, how there's, there's obviously a rental crisis happening across the country at the moment. There's just not a enough houses and there's not enough affordable houses for, for people to live in at the present. But it's on steroids at the moment in southeast Queensland. Um, Brisbane in the last 12 months, uh, their rents have gone up an average 13%, which is uh, a, a massive amount um, for people to be able to afford or, or factor into their daily uh, lives, really. 51% in Noosa, um, 33% on the Gold Coast and 80% in Gladstone over the last five years. What's with Noosa? Look, there's just the vacancy rates, uh, Mars will not be reported. Like they're that low uh, that properties aren't just aren't hitting the market to be rented. Like uh, uh, they've, they're just working to databases and there's just not enough houses for people to live in. So as a result of that, the tighter those rental markets are, the more the increase in those particular markets. Um, so they're proposing a 2% rental cap freeze. So mm-hmm. on a $500 per week rent, uh, they're saying annually you can increase that by 2%. So in that example, $10. Um, so I think that's a good idea. But as we've said on the property show, I don't think it changes things massively until we create more houses and, and more affordable houses for people to live in. Yeah, actually, just before we press record, I was talking to my rental manager and one of my properties is between tenants and, you know, I'm pretty much like recarpeting it and, you know, doing a bit of maintenance. And I said, oh, does the new um, tenant, because the place that they're renting is being sold and, you know, do they want to sign an 18-month lease? And the agent said to me, 
oh, we wouldn't recommend an 18-month lease because the market can move. And I'm, and I said, look, to be honest, I'm not all about these wild $100 a week increases if I've got a good quality individual living in there. Like, sure, if it moves 10 or $20 a week, I think, you know, as a property owner, you just really want to have the expectation that rent may increase each year. But I'm just personally, I'm just not going to do that to someone because, you know, in terms of the holding cost of my properties, the LVRs are great. It's not a big deal. And I really think, you know, if we are going down this rabbit hole, John, as a property investor, don't be doing stuff on the line because it's just not good for anyone. Like if you have to increase your rent, and I know that interest rates aren't the reason for the cost of rent to be increasing everywhere, right? Like it's a straight up housing crisis, but don't do stuff on the line because number one for you, if you're doing high LVRs for your investment property, you don't want your personal finances on the line. You want to be, you want breathing room, right? And if the interest rate increases affect your investment property to the fact that it's putting a pinch on you and your own life, and then you try and recoup that money, you know, instead of a rental increase of $50, you're like, oh, stuff, yeah, I'll do 150. I reckon I can get it anyway because I need to cover my loan. You shouldn't be a property owner anyway. Like that's just my vibe on the on the whole thing. Like it's not good for anyone if you're doing things on the line. Yeah. Margin of no, error. Ab- absolutely. Um, totally agree. And I think it's understanding those numbers long before we buy as opposed to getting in there and, and going unconditional and realizing, hang on a minute, if we have a 1% incre- increase in interest rates, we're, uh, we're in trouble here. So any case, that's what's happening up Queensland way. But, and as this goes to air, things may have evolved from those initial discussions from, um, from state government. But yeah, the rental cap, um, fantastic initiative. Don't think it'll solve the world, but it will do its little bit up that way to just uh, just keep things more affordable for the uh, the tenants. Yeah, and I I really think like I'm always caught between governments controlling everything because it smells like hardcore socialism, and I'm caught between the free market. Um, greed is good, pew, 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 screw everyone to get rich. Like it's a really tough balancing act because as an investor, you do want the market to give you the return effectively because whether it's buying shares or dividends that you're getting from that return, like you're basically getting market returns for those dividends, right? Um, But yeah, I know it is a can of worms, the whole housing affordability thing. And in fact, in two days time, uh, this Thursday, the 20th of April, John, I've recorded an episode with a guy called Matthew Old, and it's all around affordable housing. And he basically, it's just a fascinating thing. Like I, I had a conversation with him on the phone a couple of months ago. And as soon as I hung up the phone, I called Rach and I said, I've just had one of those conversations where I was blown away in the car. I can't wait to record this guy's story. Um, you know, he was homeless um, for a period. He had an addiction, got through that. And what he's doing now to help people going through a rough patch with affordable housing is wild. So look out for that one on Thursday. And John, a couple of weeks ago, you also did a, an episode on the My Millennial Property Show uh, around affordable housing. 
Uh, just give us the TLDR on that episode. Yeah, that was a, a really cool chat. It was a great initiative by Lady. It came out of Europe um, some years ago where she's implemented in Australia or, or Melbourne um, to be specific, but basically uh, gathering funds and a lot of them are donations from people to buy units for people to, for the homeless to live in which I think is an unbelievable initiative. And uh, um, at, the, at the time of recording, I think she had nine houses or nine units that they'd purchased in Melbourne and were managing them, them themselves and giving them to the homeless who, uh, who were in need and that there was a certain criteria to, to choose those people. But, and unfortunately, I got off that interview thinking, well, that's unbelievable, but that's nine families that they're helping out it's it's going to take a long time to make a real difference and that's where you come back to the likes of the Queensland government and say well, okay two percent freeze that's fantastic but let's spend some energy on building more homes let's mm. spend some energy building more affordable homes for people to live in and and then the likes of this um, this lady this company building nine homes that's just uh, the icing on the cake and I will say like it's fascinating where in this spot. And that's why I just love doing this podcast. We get to chat about stuff like when you think of homelessness, it is not that person who might be addicted to really illicit drugs and are literally on the street, the quote unquote homeless scene in the movie and, you know, all that wild stuff. Like that's a tragedy and it's an absolute mental health crisis and all that stuff. No, no, no. We are like, and this, I'll just give you a teaser for the episode on Thursday, John. This uh, dude, he gets properties from investors and if someone had an investment property and they're like, look, to be honest, I'm okay with $500 a week for this property. Um, I know the market says I can get 600 or 650. What he does, he signs a rental agreement with that person for the $500 a week and he's got seven of these properties on his books and then he's he's partnered with a community organisation uh, here in Newcastle and they have people that um, use their car park at night uh, who are sleeping in their cars and they project manage them over to his properties and they basically say, okay, can you do $200 a week? And he um, coughs up the balance. So it's just Amazing. so fascinating. And yeah. so I'm basically like, oh, so you literally donate from your business, seventy over $70,000 a year subsidizing rent. And there was stories that he shared about, you know, a mother and her four kids fleeing a DV situation uh, in Western New South Wales, came to Newcastle, into the home, the dignity that was restored. The kids are flourishing in public school here and one's a school captain now. And it's just so, so wild. And it really made me think about my giving and generosity. So yeah, bit of a teaser for uh, Thursday's episode. So it's mm, great. There you have it. All right. What do we got today? That was a good bit of housekeeping, wasn't it? Sid said, hey, MMM, wanted some advice from those that moved from a PAYG role to a business owner slash partnership. What financial slash legal things did you put in place for the transition? Uh, and Sid is thinking insurance, income protection, life and TBD insurance, superannuation, partnership agreement with clear entry and exit strategies. For context, I'm a pharmacist working in the public hospital stream 
and buying into a private community pharmacy as a partner with plans of working there ongoing. I have a young family and a mortgage. Hubby works in a PAYG role. So John, what would you say to somebody like Sid in this situation? And it's written CYD, I'm imagining it's Sid. That's called Sid. Yeah. So those three things that Sid's mentioned, insurance, super and, and partnership agreement, absolutely. That uh, entry exit strategy needs to be clear and concise and, and a, a lawyer would be involved in in the drawing up of that to make sure everyone's on the same page for, for best outcome for everyone that is involved. Uh, I think from a financial point of view, regardless of whether we're moving from PAYG to business, where we're looking at the cash flow management of our life and saying, well, how do, how much does it cost us to exist on a on a monthly basis? How much does hubby earn? And how much of the hubby's work is going to cover the running costs of their life, including the mortgage and kids? So I'd work that out first and foremost. Um, and then when you're building any business, I don't know about you, Glenn, but when I first started business, I had three levels that I would uh, aspire to with building that business. First of all, it was um, from a financial level, what we'd call a, a bare ass minimum. So what that's covering the running costs of the actual business. Now, Sid's fortunate that she's going into a business that's same industry. So pharmacists running a pharmacy business as such. So that is a smoother transition than just totally getting out of one industry into another. Um, but so that's the first level that we try and achieve financially is to cover the running costs of that actual business and, and obviously sharing that with the partner and making sure partners are on the same level when it comes to that. The second level is we want to cover the business costs as well as pay ourselves a wage that's similar to what we were getting before we went and started this business. So that's an ideal situation. Um, and you might have some timeframes around that six months, 12 months, two years, three years, whatever you're comfortable with or, or uncomfortable with, should I say, in business. And then the third level is let's shoot for the stars. And we got into business to have uh, maybe some choices in life in, in, and maybe time uh, to do what we wanted to do as well as run that business, that flexibility, but maybe also from a financial perspective. So what is that shoot for the stars amount that you could aim for and reverse engineer how you're going to get there? So that's how I've always approached business and and the, the financial aspirations or goals, uh, but making sure the back end is really solid to begin with, with your partner to know that you're on the same page coming into it. Because you see so many partnerships um, dissolve because they just really didn't have the same morals, values, ambitions, life change for them. Like understand with your partner, uh, are they married with kids or do they have kids? Do they have ambitions to have kids? Do they um, Are they uh, going to travel around the world for two years? Like understand who they are for the next five, 10 years because you don't want something like this to be a in one minute, out the next. Um, it, it ideally needs that longevity about it. What about you? Yeah, just touching on that, what I'd probably say in the horse may have already bolted for Sid, but ordinarily – like if you're in the hospital system and you are moving into the community pharmacy stuff and um, what I'd probably say is in some instances, I've noticed this in the medical world more so maybe legal 
and probably an accounting, just those traditional um, quote unquote professions, people just rock up and join into a business and buy in without meeting and really not meeting, but getting to really understand who we're doing business with. And sure, some of these models are different, but in a perfect world, you'd probably want to say to the the current pharmacist and business owner, because in Australia, uh, the pharmacist has to be the business owner. I don't know if that's specific to New South Wales, but uh, where we are, but maybe the strategy is, hey, can I just come and work here with the view that if all's going good in six months, then we can put a plan together for me to buy in? Because, you know, particularly in community pharmacy, even if it's a Amcal or Terry White, you know, some of those big chains, they're still just small businesses that are franchised. So I'm probably wanting to just make sure that pharmacist who I'm about to be in business with, I don't think they're an a-hole. I think they're good to work with and we've got a good working relationship. So that's probably just um, a motherhood statement. Insurance, income protection, life TPD, everyone needs to get that sorted regardless of whether they're uh, an employee or a small business owner. Uh, the good thing is moving from a PAYG pharmacist to a self-employed one, you'd probably have no issue uh, getting income protection from day one. Super, we can you know, swing around. And the good thing about this is from day one, you'll probably be earning the same amount of money, if not more. Um, so depending on your structure of the way things happen, um, the business owners may both be employees and then take a profit. Uh, so there might be, depending on the structure, an automatic super SG contribution for the portion that is um, with your employee wage. The partnership agreement, what I'm probably really looking at there is to get in the same room with the partner and a lawyer, maybe an accountant, and just be like, look, how are we doing this? What structure are we using? Is the pharmacy a proprietary limited company? Is the pharmacy a unit trust? Uh, can you set up a family trust to own the shares in the company? Is it a straight up partnership where it's um, you're effectively a sole trader? I'm not sure um, how pharmacists do it. I've only had a handful of pharmacy clients, pharmacist clients in my day. So you really just want to get the structure in terms of your business structure right from day one. So if you are buying in um, to the business, uh, is your family trust owning uh, that percentage and then you're an employee of that business and also as an owner, a portion of the ownership, you would get profit and the family trust might own that. Now I'm probably going a bit deep, but whatever. Then probably what I'm discussing, I don't love the idea of people getting offered a partnership in equity uh, that's a minimum five or 10%. Uh, I think that's a little bit golden handcuffy. Um, so I would probably be looking at, for example, in the partnership agreement, can we have some um, a runway of increased equity and ownership over time? Now, for example, the agreement might be that we'll pay you 90 or 100 grand, whatever the market rates pharmacist is. I don't actually know off the top of my head what a pharmacist earns as an employee, but say if it was 90 grand a year, I'll work here 90 grand a year and then any profit, you know, it's sweat equity type of thing. So you're not having to, because it, like 
for those who aren't aware in the business world where people buy into businesses and become partners, like if a business is worth a million dollars and they've offered you 10%, you've got to rock up with a hundred grand. So the question is, how do we pay that hundred grand? Do we borrow it off our mortgage? Do we get a business loan? Or do we have some type of arrangement where it is sweat equity? Um, so this is a really bespoke situation. Uh, but effectively, you w- you'll be fine in terms of your income. That's not the issue. I really think the issue is getting the partnership and your business entity set up correctly from day one. That's that's what I would say. So you need some legal advice. And then secondly, uh, can you consider some, uh, as part of the agreement, some buy-sell insurance, uh, which effectively an insurance policy. So if you're, you'd both own a life insurance or a disability insurance over each other, effectively. So if your business partner was to die and the business was worth a million dollars and you both had ownership each. If the business partner was to die, their family would get the life insurance policy of $500,000, which represents the value and you would automatically take over the rest of the business. So you're not in business with, you know, their family members and all that stuff. So it'd probably be a bit different in pharmacy anyway, because you have to be the pharmacist, but you can't go wrong. Uh, You're in a good industry you just got to um, consider that partnership agreement. And you've already said a, a clear entry and exit strategy. Now, just finishing before we go to the next question, a clear exit strategy could be if you wish to unwind this, it's a six-month notice. Or if you're found to be on illicit substances at work or not at work, you're gone. So if, you, you know, if you're doing little meth, weekends or something like that and you get arrested, no, you're out. We're not in business with people like that because it's too unpredictable. So you can have things like that in place. Um, If you become permanently disabled, you're out and insurance can pay you out and I'll take over the business. So clear exit and entry strategies and the entry strategy could be, okay, we need to ratchet up to 40 or 50% over the next five to six years. Let's lay that out what it looks like and how we get there. So do you want to read Christy's question, Johnson? Okay, moving on. Christy Scar, if I wanted to start investing in ETFs in more overseas markets, say the US, how do I tell if the ETF are not going to trigger the extra paperwork for a tax event in that country? Does this make sense at all? Is this a thing? I know there is a Vanguard one, but I can't even remember what it was. Thanks, hoops. So what you're looking at there, and as you know, everyone, GlobalX is our Thursday show partner. When you look at ETFs online, the product information will say uh, where they're domiciled. It might say domicile or domiciled, and it'll say the country. So for example, if the ETF is domiciled in Australia, there is nothing you need to worry about. It's all G in the H. Uh, the share registry or your platform will likely send information straight to the ATO, pre-fill, all that stuff at the end of the year. That's fine. Now, Neil Alexander in the Facebook group said, I wish I invested in IVV instead of VTS. Even if you complete a W8BEN form, the IRS still withholds 15% of the income instead of 30%. So basically, I don't personally have any shares or ETFs that are not domiciled in Australia. So 
quick answer to your question, Christy, look up, you know, open the page, do a page search, domicile or domiciled or dom or whatever, and look for that thing. Uh, VTS is the Vanguard Total Market Fund. It's a fund that is um, basically investing every share in the US on every, like I think over 3,000. And IVV is the top 500 companies. And the difference is minimal <laughs> between the two. So I've um, I've taken the view that I'm happy with my IVV and it's domiciled in Australia. John, let's have a break and uh, we'll come back and continue this conversation. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science, with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Radio, we are bouncing back into the community segment of the week. We can't do this segment without Sky Wealth. You have told us that you want to get your income insurance sorted this year, your life insurance. Maybe Sid needs to talk to Phil and the team at Sky Wealth. Sky.com.au forward slash MMM. 15 minute complimentary conversation. They'll just point you in the right direction and tell you a bit about the process. John, what did we ask the community this week? What's your most recent money win? Mm. Taylor Hughes found out it's 4K cheaper to have my wedding at my dream venue on a Friday night versus Saturday night. 4K back in the bank. Very good. Kyle Lancelot sold some stuff on Marketplace and got more than I expected. Andrew Park signed a house and land contract two months ago. Wife noticed the base price of the house dropped 50K about four weeks after signing, gave them a call and got a 50K variation credit on our contract. So 50K savings. Holy dooly. Mm. Lara changed organisations in public health 
and get to claim salary packaging twice for the year. Yas. Sam said, two for one sausage rolls at closing time from the local bakery. Hey, I'm all about that. Yes. <laughs> Jordan Ray cashing in some dollars after doing online surveys. Nicola, 10% discount on today's woolly shop thanks to Everyday Extra. Oh, and free glassware. <laughs> Irby, finding a daycare that doesn't charge for public holidays. And Jack said, sold a car. That was just a money pit sitting on the street doing nothing. That is awesome. Money wins. Hey, we're still having comments about the one we did a few weeks ago with the pets, with the the chicken and the, and the, the pet bill. Someone nearly crashed their car on the Hume, didn't they? Yeah, I saw that a, a while. Oh, I don't know. Was it a Gia? Were they, or does someone <laughs> own know. chickens and take a chicken? Well, I guess can you can get someone an tell us. If you're an equine vet, give us a call. Uh, look, that's the community segment of the week. Thanks to Sky Wealth. All right, John, some housekeeping, a couple of things. Keep an eye out. We've got webinars every month till the end of the year. So we're just going to really keep turning up the webinar thing, allow you to watch them live, ask questions, or we'll put the replay up on YouTube. Uh, The Mortgage Broker one, I think, is tonight. If you're listening to this, we'll put a link in the show notes just in case. And then one thing I've recently launched was a focus session with Glenn James. That is I. What we're going to do, I was thinking the other day, John, that I miss workshopping people's money situation. (laughs) I really do. Um, So I thought I would charge and do a clarity call, right? And then I'm like, oh, like it was that dance. Like I want to charge people to get the buy-in because, you know, we want people serious and, you know, wanting to pay but I don't want to do a session without recording it and making content because I'm a content creator effectively. So what we've resolved is when we do these sessions, they're $200. Now, what you have to do is prove to us that you've donated $200 to a charity of your choice. Then you can have a phone call with me for an hour. We'll record it, put it up as a podcast. I'll send you a a form to fill out just to give you a lay of the land. It's a general advice session, not giving you any investment advice or reviewing existing portfolios, but pretty much just to get focused, right? Now, the cool thing is, and this is what I love about our group, a few weeks ago when we launched this in the Facebook group, the 10 initial sessions got done instantly. So $2,000 at least to charity. And then Nikki in the group said, I wish I could afford could really use some advice right now. Someone emailed me and said, I would love to donate $200 to a charity and Nikki do the session. So it's been a, yeah, it's been a real wholesome thing. I'm not doing the $440 one that I keep the money and it's not recorded or anything like that. Uh, You can go to you, John, if someone wants an off the, you know, off the podcast clarity call, but yeah, I, I just think it's not for everyone. And I acknowledge that and I will do some more, pro bono stuff in this space. But what we'll do, we'll record the sessions, we'll wait three months and then we'll get the people to send in a voice memo in three months time with an update of what's happened since the call. So you won't hear these sessions until later in the year, everyone. But I think it'll make a better podcast experience to hear a conversation with me. We strategize about how to optimize the situation. 
Then they go and fix everything and get some focus and direction and then send in three months later a bit of an update for everyone. Mm, love the idea because essentially the, the group has spoken, haven't they? I said, well, let's, let's give it to a charity. The group have spoken. They really have. They really have. Question here. <laughs> I don't know why that was weird, but sure. Uh, Izzy said, hey, everyone, just hoping we could get some help when it comes to selling a car privately and the best way to take a payment is bank transfer for around 10 grand a good option or what would you all recommend? We haven't sold a car privately before doing this as we'll be able to get more money compared to a dealer. Absolutely. Thanks so much for your help. So John, what would you say to Easy about selling a car privately? I like it personally, conceptually speaking, to sell a car privately. Uh, I, I actually like the challenge of done it a few times over the journey and uh, I like the idea. Now, why I like the idea is it's on the open market and people can haggle what they how they want to and uh, and and you deal direct with the uh, with the purchaser, right? Some people want to avoid that and that's when they go and list it in uh, in a car yard or something similar. But is bank transfer for around ten k a good option? What do you think? Yeah, I think the one thing that I want to get across: if you are selling something privately. It's by your rules and your way, number one. You could theoretically say, hey, selling this, P.S., the successful buyer must provide bank check, no ifs, no buts, nothing. This is what we're doing. So you have the power to do it however the heck you want. You can say, bank transfer, I'm happy to do that, but I'm not signing it over until I've received the money. You could say to them, hey, when I sell this, if you agree, you have to follow me down to my local branch, if there's any branches left, um, and then transfer the money at the local branch or whatever. So number one, you are in control and don't make any apologies for that. Um, so the things like OSCO, it's a cautionary tale and I'll share a story when I sold one of the cars that I sold once, and this is be very explicit and it takes a bit to kind of learn to know that you are actually in control and don't be rushed and all that stuff. So I sold a car and they were coming up from Sydney, like two hours away. And I said, hey, like they were serious to buy it. I said, look, the cheapest, I'll make a number up here. The cheapest I'll take is $31,000. I'm like, I can guarantee you, you're welcome to come and have a look at it. It's listed for say 35. I'm not taking less than 31. Just letting you know before you drive all this way if you want it. So I was very clear with what I was doing. And they're like, oh, would you take cash? And it's like, I don't care if it's a unicorn writing a bank check. I, I'll take anything as long as, anyway. So they rocked up and they said, oh, what about 30 grand? I said, no, I was very clear that I would not take less than $31,000. They did the walk away. I'm like, all right, see ya. Anyway, oh, no, no, we will, we will. Okay. They had a bag of $31,000 cash. And I said to them, that's fine, but you're driving with me to the bank. We can take both cars. I'll get an Uber back home, whatever. But I'm not signing it over until the bank count it and it's deposited because I'm not seeing here counting $30,000, right? $31,000. So that was number one. Number two... When I sold a boat recently, 
um, I think it was 25,000 or something like that. And I was in my plaster cast, right? And I told people, because you've got to know if someone's buying from you, whether it's a boat, whether it's a car, whether it's a lounge, it's on your terms, 100%. You do not owe anyone anything. If they want it, they can buy it on your terms. And I said to them, they were coming up from Sydney as well, two and 15 minute, two hours, 15 minute drive. I said, number one, I'm not taking less than, I'll make a number up, $25,000. Number two, I'm in a cast. I'm not water testing it. And like, I'm just very clear. Don't try and haggle me. Like, I know it's good. It's just being serviced. So being very firm. They rocked up and said, oh, we can do bank transfer. I'm like, who do you bank with? They're like, uh, Commonwealth Bank. And I knew Commonwealth Bank have OSCO. Now, the weird glitch that I've noticed with some of these, I said, send a $100 test payment. So the son sent a $100 test payment to my up bank account. It arrived instantly. I'm like, sweet, it's working. And then they both sent like 12 and a half grand each via OSCO. Now, it didn't happen instantly. Some OSCO payments for the first time that are larger, there is a delay. So you've got to be warned. So if in doubt, say, that's fine. I will not take less than 10 grand and it has to be a bank check if in doubt. Now, what happened was I had their photos of their ID. I saw the money that the 12 and a half grand had left their accounts. They took the boat. I signed it over and I only had $100 in my bank account. That's a risk that a lot of people aren't willing to take. I took the call, the like, oh, look, I'll, I'll take that risk. It will show up and it did. But Would you do it again? Yeah, I mean, I'm guilty of giving people the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Like I gave Brossa the benefit of doubt when I spent three grand on an outdoor setting that never arrived when they went into administration and I lost three grand. What? Um, so it's was- just a, a judgment and character call. I mean, yeah. if in doubt say cash and we meet at the bank, if in doubt, cash and we count it. I'll tell you an example. I was selling a motorbike once and the guy gave me the five grand in an envelope, cash, and I go, oh, thanks for that. It's all there, is it? He's like, yeah, $50 short when I counted it like a week later. Like, so yeah, I don't know. You Depend, just depends you, what the figure is. Yeah, I think you've just got to be, this is what I just, I keep repeating, you are in control of this transaction and you set the terms. Mm. And, you know, a lot of the time now, and I think negotiation has changed a bit, John, with marketplace and everything's via text. You know, if you put an item up for, we'll say this car, it's, they want 10 grand for it. You might put it up for 12 and a half grand negotiable. Everyone's like, what's your best price for cash? I don't care. It's all pre, it's all post-tax dollars anyway. Like cash doesn't mean anything to me. Like I'll just put it in the bank. So... Usually what happens is in this day and age, and this is what I found, John, my generation, not sure about your generation, but like you're almost, that was a joke, John, you should laugh. Um, <laughs> I didn't want to interrupt, you're on such oh, a roll. I am. Um, you generally, I reckon nowadays, you almost get to a negotiation point before they rock up. And that's certainly what I've yeah. done. I'm like, hey, just letting you know, I'm hard not taking less than this. You're welcome to come have a look at it, but don't try and barter me down more. And they always do try and barter, but I go back and show them the text. See here, don't come. I'm not taking less. So Mm. I know we've probably harped on a bit, but do you want to add anything else? Yeah. Look, I I bought a bike frame last month and went bank transfer, Osco, 
it actually hadn't hit his account when I left. Uh, he was comfortable to do it, took screenshots and licenses and all those sort of things. So um, I was obviously happy to, happy to go, but uh, he needed to be comfortable to let it go as well. If I was on the other end, would I let them go? Again, it's a bit of a trust thing and like it or not, you're judging someone on face value and the, and the communication you've had up until that time. But uh, yeah, all cars that I've sold have, have generally been cash. Yeah, the guys who bought that car from Sydney, it was dodgy. It was so weird. The guy didn't yeah. have, uh, he didn't have a license or a bank account. <laughs> I'm like, oh, if- and he's like, oh, can I, you know, the, uh, is it the PPS or whatever register it is to see if the car is, yeah. you know, being damaged or stolen or whatever? He's like, oh, can I run the check? It's, um, it's only $2 online. I'm like, yeah, you knock yourself out. He goes, oh, I don't have any money in my bank account. Can I? <laughs> so I'm like on the boot of my car with the laptop logging into this government website, paid for his $2 thing. Like I'm just like, oh, my gosh. How, how dicey are some of these transactions? They look real ordinary when you're on the side, side of the road negotiating and you're handing over money. <sighs> and that's what I said. I'm like, I'm not counting this. It's going to the bank because mm. if half of the notes are fake, <laughs> like – yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that's um, a bit of fun. Sarah said, I'm at a crossroads career-wise and would like some advice. I'm unsure whether to start again or building on what I have. I've worked in legal support with experience in multiple jurisdictions, client services, and some compliance. I'm at a stage where I can sort of pick what I do next because of having a lot of transferable soft skills, but I don't know what to do. I'm looking for something that has good trajectory and ability to get good money if you find the right path. I'm not sure what to choose, to build on the path I have already forged or to try something completely new using the soft skills I have to get a leg up. Can you solve all Sarah's problems, John? Well, do my best. I think there's three areas that we need to assess. Well, this is if I was Sarah, this is what I would do. There's there's money in finances. Okay, how much am I going to get paid, or how much am I getting paid at the present? There's enjoyment. Um, how much am I enjoying my role now? Because I can guarantee how much I'm enjoying it at the moment, because I know. Whereas I can't guarantee what I'll go into or whether I will enjoy what I go into as I haven't done it yet. And then it's the, I wouldn't say climbing the corporate ladder, but it's it's being comfortable being uncomfortable going into a new role or a new industry or new something that uh, that maybe at the minute she's comfortable in, uh, in her own environment and not challenged, so to speak. So looking at all those three areas and breaking them down, uh, which ones may be more important at the time, and also rating those three areas would be my sort of judgment call to see, well, am I getting any of those three at the moment to the level that I want? And if I change, am I going to increase my chances of getting all three of those? Because, I mean, yeah, it's, it's about, as we as we keep saying, not, it's not all about the, the money and how much we're getting paid. It's about the lifestyle, it's about the, the enjoyment of work, it's about the challenging nature of it and uh, being relevant, uh, a whole range of things. So understanding, Sarah, what are your true values and what you're after from a career point of view um, and then hopefully that leads you to the best answer. 
What about you, Glenn? I've just, while you're on your Sermon on the Mount there, I just replied in the Facebook group and said, have you got a copy of the book, Sort Your Career Out? Um, so I've offered Sarah a book. and That's nice. What, yeah, well, you know, you've got to advertise the book and give some away to good people. Um, what I want to just say, and then we'll move on, and that's what reminded me of the book. We talked about um, STEM industries in the book, right? Science, technology, engineering, and maths, I think. That's the STEM words, right? Now, what I said in the book was those industries, you know, have such a long scope in this world, right? All the good stuff. Now, you not you might not be a scientist. You might not be an engineer. You might not be good at maths. You might not be good at technology. But can you do something within that industry or those industries? So in the book I shared about if you like marketing, can you get into marketing in science or Sarah here, legal background, transferable skills? Well, can we do something in the legal world of one of the STEM industries? I don't know. That's, that's what I just want to say. Like you've got the transferable skills. Can you do something that is similar to what you're doing but in an industry that is going to the moon. I don't know. So, Interesting. She doesn't say that she's not enjoying it. It's just mm. that there's some crossroads that she's at where she continues going down this similar path or changes, right? Mm. Something's, something's amiss though for her to ask the question. Yeah, which is awesome. We'll finish with Laura. Hi all, I'm looking for some advice. I'm currently renting a place with someone else since January. So almost, you know, half a year. I've been looking for my first property for a while and finally found something, but I'm not sure what to do. Dun, dun, dun. I want to move in straight away to avoid having to pay stamp duty and capital gains tax, or at least for the first six months, but then all the furniture and everything is mine in the rental and I don't want to leave my flatmate with nothing or stuck. I don't mind if I have to pay a fee to end the contract early, but it wouldn't be that great to leave my flatmate hanging. Does anyone have any suggestions? Now, John, the, the main thing I wanted to pick up with this question was with these state-based stamp duty concessions for first home buyers, usually it's within six months of the first year. It's not six months from settlement. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah, you have to activate it within the first six months. So it can be month five or month six. Yeah. So for example, you may be able to end your tenancy after 50%. Um, I think in New South Wales now, if you end your lease after it's 70% or 75% through, it's only a two-week penalty. Um, don't worry, I've checked. Um, <laughs> but that's that's well, kind of the, the one thing I wanted to camp on there. Secondly, um, yeah, I mean, it's just a cautionary tale. Like if you are moving in with a flatmate, and you sign a 12-month lease and you own all the furniture, yeah, absolutely. Laura's exactly right. She doesn't want to screw her friend over, but maybe there needs to be a discussion that, hey, if I need to change my situation, I'll give you three months notice and I'm happy to pay out the lease myself and take my furniture. But also, can your friend just not move in and rent off you? 
unless it's a different area. That's what I'd say as well. And the lease early, both of you move with the furniture over to uh, the new home if you're happy to live with your friend. That's what I would say. That's a good advice. I think you've got to have a chat, like you mentioned. You've just got to sit down and say, okay, this is what's going on. I'm buying this property. Are you keen to stick around in this flat or do you actually want to come with me? Uh, it might be simply resolved having this conversation. If you don't want to come with me and you want to stay where you are, okay, that's my furniture. We discussed this at the start. Do you want to A, buy it off me? B, I take it. And are you cool to get some others or, or like just have a conversation and nip it in the bud mm-hmm. well friends thank you so much for hanging out with us today on my millennial Monet it's been real you've been real haven't you John try my best today mm. Glenn alright we'll, we'll end it there and we'll see you guys next week in fact let's end it now and then I wanted to swing around and ask you something in the after party John okay, okay see you for everyone right, who just bye. stops it now okay bye We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports a variety of charities, and we encourage you to consider giving as part of your overall financial strategy. If you would like some giving options, or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to mymillennial.money forward slash charities for more info. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Radio. so you know how we're getting that life insurance on me that you're paying for? I was actually thinking about that when that question came up during the show. Yeah, same. And I got an email just then from um, the insurer yeah, uh, they've done all the underwriting. I'm medically loaded, so you'll have to pay more. Oh. So sucked in. We'll go halves. <laughs> no, if you want it. <laughs> so yeah. everyone, the like, reason uh, this is what John and I have done. I'm paying an unhealthy tax. Exactly. <laughs> so John and I 
Um, you could say we're effectively colleagues, business partners. Could you say that? Let's say that. Are we friends with business yeah, benefits? Yeah, <laughs> we're probably, yeah, whatever. You've whatever. Never, you've never like, you want it. you've never invited me over for dinner. Hey, I've, I rarely invite people over. No, but I was going to say, I haven't invited you over either. <laughs> <laughs> Likewise. So we yeah. do well, business. As you, just, as you just confirmed in the recent recording, we're in different generations. <laughs> we absolutely are, aren't we, John? We, John's a boomer, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, we set up a key person policy on my life. So if I died prematurely, uh, John would receive a death benefit um, because Johnson's income comes uh, from some of the stuff we do here on the podcast and I don't want his life to be impacted if I was to have a dirt nap early. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, yeah, what's the bad news? Well, you've got to pay 50% more for the loading. I don't know if you're worth it. I don't care. I'll be dead. <laughs> Knock yourself out. It's 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 low percentage, isn't it? Well, I mean, let's just have a look. Do you want me to just tell you or whatever? How healthy are you? Oh, mate, freaking not a drip. $655 a year it is now. Just do it. Oh, that's not a 50%. I was already quoting up around the 500 anyway. Yeah. Well, whatever. So... Yeah, I'm about to sign this and send it and then they'll put the policy in force and freaking watch my back. Old Johnson will put someone on me. <laughs> I'm worth more to your business dead. If I invited you around for dinner, A, you wouldn't come, but B, what would you eat? Whatever. Yeah. I would come. Would you? Yeah. All right. I'll uh, discuss it with Amy. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just get pizza. <laughs> Um, so when that money win, I put this on Instagram a while ago, I had a bit of a money win. So, you know, that brand that you see online everywhere, John Ecosa. Oh, do you hear that? Yeah. It was a fly, is it? A fly just landed on it. Jeez. On the microphone. Um, that bedding brand Ecosa, right? You know, where you get the flat pack mattress and all that. I actually use the Ocosa pillows. I really like them. And I've got an Ocosa mattress in the spare room, but I bought one of their um, bed frames. You remember those bed frames? I don't think so. Every, anyway, everyone was um, asking me what the story was on Instagram. So I'll just say it now. What did I, I'm just looking how much I paid for this bed frame. It was a rise bed frame. It was the queen size. Yeah, $1,600, right? Yeah. Pay for this bed frame. From day one, it squeaked. Like, and yeah. I'm not talking about hardcore activity squeak, jumping, you know, like jumping on the bed, having a pillow fight, that type of hardcore activity, yeah, you yeah. sicko. Um, keep a G, John. And like it got to the point where I would be laying in bed, lift my leg up a little bit, move my arm. So I put up with it and I was like, oh, this is killing me. So I went to Bunnings, got beeswax, pulled it all apart, freaking put beeswax everywhere, didn't work. Like, oh, 
worked for like a two days, started squeaking again. So you know those big coppice log screws? Yeah. Friggin' jammed one in there, like on one side that was squeaking. Worked for like two days. Like this is absolutely rubbish. I called support, contacted support. <laughs> I reckon between me cracking it and dismantling the bed and just putting an ensemble back in there, probably seven weeks, six weeks to just, just resolve. Yeah, right. Wow. And they're like, oh, you need proof. I'm like, oh, I've got this old, I've got a video of me like rolling in bed because I showed someone. So I sent them a video. And they're like, oh, can you get a video without the mattress? I'm like, it's a brand new King Coil mattress. Trust me, the mattress doesn't squeak. Oh, can you, re can you do this? I'm like, no, I'm not setting it up. I'm about to like burn it. Yeah. So anyway, got to the point. They're like, oh, yeah, all right, we'll give you a, a refund, but you need to send the bed back. I'm like, okay, we'll come and get it. Yeah. And then they said, okay, yep, here's the – and I'm, I'm talking like you send a, a, an email reply to their request, it's a three or four-day turnaround. Like this is how yeah, really? it's been sitting wow. in my front door section for like five weeks, kid you not. Anyway – they're like, all right, we've ordered a courier to pick it up. Just put the three boxes. Here's the three things. And I wrote back, I'm like, there's no boxes anymore. I bought this in September. Like, <laughs> stop the truck coming. Anyway, so I finally called them and I, I just had it out. I just put three bits on the veranda in case the courier came, but they, yeah. they canceled the courier. But just useless customer service. Absolutely yeah, no useless. Um, but I, like, you I like their, like their pillows are awesome. They're... Um, you know, I've got the mattress in the spare room. Hmm. I mean, maybe I'm just hedging my bet if they ever want to advertise with me, but like, <laughs> yeah. but customer service, the but worst. you are vulnerable to little noises. And I am sensitive, yeah. very sensitive. Like you've probably, you got in my car the other day and, and straight away you picked up a squeak in the um, console. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I was for everyone who has chair. the for everyone who has the Prados, <laughs> the center console. After about ten years old, you put your elbow on. It's like yeah, it's only eight, but and then you picked me up on my chair the other day because you hear that squeaking, and I couldn't even hear it. John's got a vibrating chair, so when he slouches, it vibrates, and did I you heard it through it today? the microphone. Yeah, I did, but I ignored no, it. I took no, the high didn't. road. I heard it. I bloody heard it. If it wasn't, it was your phone. Okay, here's a what would you do segment. Mm. We installed solar when we built this house. Yeah. And they set it up. Yep, it's all working good. Uh, I linked it to my Energy Australia, who's the provider. And Aren't they expensive? Uh, no, they look to be pretty good. Uh, try AGL, anyway. but anyway, whatever. Yeah. Any case, uh, three weeks later, I'm like, I can't actually see – because I was away in that period and I came back and I'm like, I can't actually see what solar is being used and what's going back to the grid, et cetera, et cetera. Rang them, they came out and said, oh, yeah, we need to do a software update. I said, right, okay. So how much solar have I generated in the last three weeks? Uh, none. What? <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> and I said, oh, okay, so what's the step from here? He's like, well, it's working now. I said, okay, so what about for the last three weeks where I – Paid for solo and didn't get any. Mm. Um, can't help. Ugh. You have to talk to management. So I emailed three emails, one phone call, voice message, still nothing. Continue to get their marketing but nothing back. So what would you do in that situation? Would you 
how much? Push so the point. Six weeks you've paid for it and you haven't got any solar. Uh, yeah, let's say worst case three, uh, four weeks. What's the hard cost, do you reckon? <sighs> oh, have to be, have to be a couple of hundred. Oh, yeah, I mean, I'm at the stage where my blood pressure goes through the roof when I'm banging my head against the wall for like these beds, $1,600. Yeah. It was to the point where I was just like, you know what? I don't actually care about the money you're doing my head in. And that's why yeah. I put a post on yeah. Instagram. I was just like, everyone just needs to be warned. Sure, they'll the mattresses and pillows, knock yourself out. Yeah. But anything like this, it's just useless. Oh, I will add, they finally... Um, said, all right, we won't pick it up. And, you know, this morning when I was just, you know, an hour ago when we were looking, I was looking over there, not looking at the camera, because the Salvation Army, I, it was on the front step. The, they donated the bed to the Salvos. Oh, right. Um, <laughs> apologies to whoever yeah. gets that. But, um, yeah, yeah so they, but they're going to refund the money once they confirm the charity picks it up. So, right. no, um, But, not. yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm at the stage where, you know, fortunately enough, with my financial situation, a couple hundred dollars is just not worth the absolute stress of dealing with the machine. Yeah, and I'm fortunate enough to be the same. However, when they don't respond to any of my emails or call me back or give me anything, if, if, if upon my first email they came back and said, yep, really sorry about that, Nothing we can do from our end, but mm. understand your situation. I'll be like, yeah, okay, cool. Customer services there. Yeah, I, I think actually. But now they're ignoring me. I'm like, hang on, yeah. I'm going to dig my toes in here. Yeah, I, I think it's that, yeah, I kind of will um, walk back a few of my comments because it gets to the point where it flicks the threshold from being about recouping my money to the principal. Yes. And correct. it's like it's, if someone sues money, you. And they don't want money. Good luck. They're not going to stop. Because uh, I had a similar situation on Friday last week, over one hundred and eighty dollars with this company. Oh. And long story short, gosh, it's a long story, but <laughs> I was at this place that I bought a product from. It was a brand new product. When they delivered the product, they didn't tell me about this beep. I thought it was a normal beep. It went for its first three-month service. Might be a boat. Um, <laughs> might have put a brand-new engine in. Went to its three-month service because like, you turn the key on and it beeps once, which is normal, and then six times. I thought the six times was a safety thing that apparently the beep um, is because the trim sensors are rooted because they didn't replace the leg, just the engine. And I just wanted to make sure what the beep was because I heard it while cruising once. And I said to them, I'm like, I'm bringing the boat back down. I've looked online and I've since learned that Mer cruisers don't beep six times after the initial startup beep. I'm really upset that you delivered the boat to me with a brand new engine that was beeping six times and you didn't tell me that, oh, it's, there's nothing wrong. It's just doing this because of the old leg trim sensor. Then when you serviced it the first time, you heard the beeps. You didn't investigate and tell me why it's beeping. The only reason, anyway, so I took it down and they're like, oh, and I was, it was there for like three hours. I did some work from there when it had lunch. 
And they're like, yep, trim sensor, which I had a suspicion it was. And they said, oh yeah, it's $200 or $180 for the labor. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm not paying that. I mean, I would not be here today if you told me what those beeps were that are not normal merc mercury beeps. And I had to wait an hour for the head of sales to talk to the owner. I'm like, and I said to like the mechanic, he was awesome and he got it. And I said to this main sales guy, I'm like, we'll call him Bob. Bob, do you not believe me? Like, do you think I'm here? He goes, oh no, I'm just staying out of it. I'm just like, I'm like, no, no. Yeah. You know, oh, the mechanic, he categorically believes. Like I've wasted a day driven for a Newcastle, hour and 15 minutes down, waited here. I just want to make sure that the beep is not something else because yeah. if it was something else and I didn't bring it back, I would void the, the two-year warranty on the engine. Mm. Like, mm. And I said, this is really horrendous customer service. Anyway, I said to them, so he had to talk to the owner who wasn't around, so I had to wait. And I said, hey, guys, what happens from here now is determining if I ever come back here. What did they say? Well, he got on to the owner and he said, yeah, yeah, we'll waive it. And I said, hey, I just want to, there was a, a lady there and the service manager and the mechanic. And I said to them, hey, I just want you guys to know that I really appreciate this. This could have cost you a, a good customer. Like, I'm happy to bring the boat back here for a service when it's due, but I shouldn't have been here. But I, like, I shouldn't be here right now. If the last two times the boat was here, you told me about this beep. So it wasn't about the $180. It was yeah. about the principle that- That's right. So, yeah, I don't know. Far out. What a yeah. dumb after party. Everyone's hearing my problems. Well, it did, uh, did lag on a bit. That's for sure. Um, now, I've got to go because did you- Because we are actually recording this on the 27th of March, everyone. Um, I cancelled next week's recording. Did you see that? I saw because I and was, yes, yeah, this Thursdays because it's Monday. Um, yeah, I cancelled you because I booked a last minute ticket <laughs> to America and I leave tomorrow morning. <laughs> what? Did you? Oh yeah. Well, you know Nick yeah. Gleason. Yeah, he's um, he's fortieth is this week. All oh, right. And I was talking to Nick Bradley, who hosts the My Millennial Investor podcast. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, what's, how's Nico? And he's like, oh, they're having a 40th on Friday night. And I'm like, oh, this was just yesterday, Sunday. I'm like, oh, I'll jump online if, if I can get a cheap ticket or with points. I'll just zip up there for, you know, two weeks or something. And so. So who's in America? Nick Gleason. Nick Bradley. Yeah, Nick oh, Bradley Gleason. lives in America. I've yeah, met him right. through the Gleasons and the Foresights. Ah, yeah. sure. So I stay at Nick Bradley's house, the host of the Investor Podcast. Yeah. So we'll do a couple of episodes while I'm up there and I'll surprise. Nico doesn't know I'm heading up tomorrow yeah. so surprise him That's good. but uh, how's this i got return first class <laughs> first class for 360 dollars with points to la what yeah just last minute like just jumped on sydney because i'm like i'm not paying because it, like it's double at the moment i'm like not paying 2600 dollars for return just at a whim but if i can snag something last minute is that uh is that common the last minute stuff i thought it goes up i don't know the i don't know I, it's code share Qantas with american airlines and i'm only kind of doing it with because i could have done the business but i'm like eh. my favorite airplane is the boeing 777 
and American Airlines have a Boeing Triple Seven that I'm going on. So I wanted yeah. to I want to try first class in the Triple Seven. I've done the business class, but yeah. um, capitalist. Oh yeah, filthy pig. But hmm. so yeah, I'm frantically, and that's why I said 20 minutes ago or before we started an hour ago, whatever, that I've got a hard 12.30 because I've got all the nice stuff and it's now 10 <laughs> yeah, to 1. So I've got a 1 o'clock, so I've got to go. Uh, so, yeah, I'll be online over the next couple of weeks if you need me, but um, we won't do any Thanks. recording. But just Righto. I'll be back Easter Tuesday. All right, very good. All right, nice knowing you, Pidge. I'll sign that pleasure. insurance and um, you guys can – I've just got to sign the terms that I agree to it and then – Yeah, all right, good on you. Forever grateful. All right, see ya.